Well, if you're tuning in online tonight, we're uh, glad that you are, uh, not just uh, for the sermon, but hopefully you worship uh, with us as well. Um, just what a blessing it is to know the Lord and to serve Him together today. And uh, it's just my privilege and honor to be sharing uh, God's Word uh, with you all tonight. Um, as you can see, uh, the title tonight is What's Love Got to Do With It? And I have a couple disclaimers before I begin. Disclaimer number one, this is not a marital message. Um, if you have any marital questions, you can email me at mark at Kingsway Church, and I'll be happy to uh, get to that. Disclaimer number two, I won't be singing any Tina Turner tonight. Maybe in the cafe, we'll see how it goes. But I'm definitely talking about love today. It's something that's been on my heart um, for a while. And um, we see in the word that it says, um, in a time in the last days that love will wax cold. The love of many will grow cold. And when we find ourselves uh, in that generation where people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure, and not lovers of God, we must now more than ever make love our goal, make love our reputation, and make love our mission. And to begin, there's no other place that we can begin talking about love than that with the one who is love, the Lord himself. This is real love. When you think about God, what do you think he's like? What comes to your mind when you think of him, do you think of our creator, Elohim? Do you think of him as the almighty one, El Shaddai? Or you do, do you think of him as our Lord and master, Adonai? While he is all those things and so much more, we're told by him through his word that his most dominant trait is love. His nature is love. In the same way, when you hear about Albert Einstein, that you think, smart. When you hear Jim Carrey, you think, funny. <laughs> when you hear Gary, you think, distinguished, the best person you ever want to meet. I was really hoping he was here tonight for that. And in the same way, the Lord's most dominant trait is love. It's by his love he created us, and by his love he saved us. By his love he restores us, for God so loved the world. He is the originator of love. And our first scripture tonight takes us to 1 John, if you'd like to turn with me there. It's a tricky one to find. It's uh, just before Jude, which is just before Revelation. So it's right at the back there. It's one of those tricky ones. And some of my favorite scripture is found there. I love these letters from John, especially when they're talking about love here tonight. First John chapter 4, verse 9 we'll sit there a bit tonight, but it says that God showed how much he loved us 
by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And if you glance at the uh, chapter 3, verse 16, it says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. That's real love. This old uh, gentleman by the name of William Evans, he was a past director of the Moody Bible Institute, said this, just how to define or describe the love of God may be difficult, if not impossible. But it appears from Scripture that the love of God is of such a nature that it is indicated that he has a constant interest in the physical and spiritual welfare of his creatures as to lead him to make sacrifices beyond human conception to reveal that love. Man, that's real love. That is real love. That a God thought of us and made a way for us to show that love to us. Romans 5 Verse 5, I'll, I'll put up on the screen. It says, And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how God dearly loves us. And because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us. Um, died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Real love. While we were yet sinners, enemies of Christ, when we were utterly hopeless, utterly helpless, he thought of us. He called us. He died for us. He took our place. He made a way and gave us hope. Now we can say, O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is real love. So now what? Let's go back to 1 John 4.19. It says this, We love because he loved us first. You know, when we establish God's love in our hearts, when we get that, when we feel that, and it changes us, there's nothing like it. And God says, okay, you've got my love, now I want you to go love. Go love this world. My next point tonight is um, reckless love. Question mark. Reckless love? Right? I'm sure many of you are aware of the 2017 hit song, Reckless Love. The chorus which goes, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. 
Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Did that strike a nerve with anyone here today? Well, you wouldn't be the only one, as that song came under much criticism for that word reckless. Many Bible-believing, God-fearing folks, including myself, know that God's, he's not reckless. He's not careless. He's not thoughtless. He's not irresponsible. He is perfect in knowledge, perfect in his ability, perfect in wisdom. They may have better off to say the unmerited or undeserving love of God. But hey, I'm not a Grammy-winning music artist. But at the same time, this song struck a chord with millions. Believers and unbelievers alike, as they were reminded that the love of God meets us where we're at. Sees our imperfections, sees our mess, sees our secret sin, sees our rebellion, yet he loves us the same. In fact, he pursues us. The sacrificial, unmerited, undeserving, never-ending, never-failing love of God. He comes into our mess. You know, when you think about God, I don't know how you feel he thinks about you tonight, but I can confidently tell you he loves you with this kind of love. This redeeming, this perfect, pursuing love of God changes us. And he comes into our mess. And we know that people are messy. Life is messy. When Jesus was asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? His response in Matthew 22, uh, 37 was this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And a similar exchange happened in Luke chapter 10 after a man replied, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? In Luke chapter 10, you're welcome to turn there quick. We're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, as Jesus was asked that question, who is my neighbor? He replied with this story. Luke 10, verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. He also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. 
The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. You know, when it comes to loving people, it's easier to step over the mess. It's easier to not reach out. It's easier to cross the other side of the road and pretend not to see. We're called to love people. We're called to love people with a, that will, a love that will cost us something, cost us our time, cost us our convenience, cost us our comfort, sometimes our pride. You know, the Good Samaritan had nothing in common with the man in need. In fact, they were supposed to be enemies. It's interesting how Jesus noted all the religious people walked aside. You know, it's not just what we say, it's what we do. And people, they're not blind. They see and they know how we make them feel. So many people, they wonder what God's will for my life is. I remember being younger and thinking that, God, what, what's, what's your will for, for my life, God? Would you tell me I'll, and, I'll, and I'll do it? I want to know. And um, I believe that we're called to love God and love people no matter where we're at. That's what one lady did by the name of Jackie Pullinger. Excuse me, Pullinger. If you have not heard this lady's story, I would recommend when you have time to check her out um, on YouTube. She wrote a book called Chasing the Dragon. When she was 22 years old, she tried to become a missionary, and they said, you're too young, and you don't have enough schooling. And so she got on a boat headed to China and felt like the Lord told her to get off in Hong Kong. Now, at the time, in the 60s, there's an area in Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong called the Walled City. It was a place that they just walled in because the crime and corruption was so bad. It was an opium, uh, opium den. It was run by the Chinese triads. And this 22-year-old British girl decided to make her home there. And some of the first images she's seen of this walled city were horrendous. Um, I won't get into the details. You can check it out later. But just an incredibly oppressive atmosphere. And she went on to love people one person at a time, one person at a time, to the point where she would bring other young girls with no place to go, hurting. They were sleeping on her apartment floor, to the point where she didn't have any more room on her apartment floor, and at this point needed to rent a place, which is still there today, a, rehab a rehabilitation center for all sorts of folks in Hong Kong. And she said this quote, which really struck me. She said, we don't want to get to eternity and realize how foolish we've been. We don't want to overlook what's most important in life, which is loving God and loving people. 
you know, I love her love. It just tore down walls. She got out of her comfort zone and loved people. And of course, there's wisdom in that. The good Samaritan, he did what was appropriate. And the same is true for us. But it still costs something. It costs convenience. It costs that pride, even a reputation. But you know, when you love like that, you don't need to be Billy Graham to convince people to come to Christ. They start coming to you. They'll start asking you, why are you different? Why did you do this? Why do you care? And it always leads to great conversations. Loving one another. We're called to love one another. 1 John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let's continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. You know, when we know him, when we come to a place in our life where he's touched our heart, he's touched us, he fills us, we feel that love, man, we just got to share it. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Lord. It's an amazing thing. It puts a smile on our face. It gives us a love for not only believers, but also the lost. And we love because he first loved us. Me, a sinner, king of fools, while I was his enemy, he died for me. He took my place. The death and separation that I deserve, he paid my price. For God so loved the world. You know, I've shared this story before, and I'll say it again, that when I was in that place, when I was saying, God, what's your will for my life? God, what would you have me do? I was, um, I was applying to a job at Stelco, and I was so unsure of it. Not sure if this is the place I should go. Not sure of the pay. Not sure of the benefits. Not sure of the pension plan. And I'm praying about all these things, wondering what's that all about. And the Lord uh, gave me some time to think about that. And I was driving one day, and this thought came to me. He said, people in a steel factory need to be loved too. That's the only thought I got back from all my prayers. And I thought, wow, I've been thinking about this whole thing completely wrong. I'm thinking me, I'm thinking material, and it was just that that came back. You know, people, there's people there that need to be loved, too. And I thought, wow, what a wake-up call. And, and by his grace, I went there, which is forefront in my mind. I just want to go there and love people. Love people. Philippians 2, verse 1 says this, Have the attitude of Christ. Have the attitude of Christ. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Love one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Wow. Thinking of others as better than than yourselves. And I love this. This is so key. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Considering the interests of others. Let me tell you something. This is not rocket science. It is not rocket science. One of my best lines ever was, hey, what'd you do last night? 
And uh, usually it was watch Netflix, <laughs> went to bed. <laughs> and I'd say, oh, yeah, what did you watch? And it would lead to something. And then I would say, okay, now what's going to happen to you after you die? No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But... <laughs> Sometimes I would. Sometimes I would. But when we take interest in others, however mundane it might seem, however plain we know we don't have to have all these things prepared. It's the love, it's the care, it's the interest that opens the door to people's hearts. And, and small things can lead to meaningful conversations. But do we have the time? Do we have the love? It's not that difficult. You know, love is a basic human need. You know that? It's right up there with water and air, and clothes. Love, we were designed to love and to be loved. And we're living in a world that is that connection is being broken every day. And the Bible tells us that it'll be like that, that the love of many will wax cold. The love of many will grow cold. But as Christians, we're called to pursue love, be lovers of people in a passionate way. And it's a, we need to connect that basic human need again. You know, what kind of laundry detergent do you need? You know, what is, what is it? Anything. Take interest in others. Love people. The world doesn't need more politics or pills or more entertainment. It needs love. The love of God in us and through us to touch them. That's what the world needs. And here's uh, one of the keys again here is, is 1 Corinthians 9.22. It says, to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak, that I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. That I might by all means save some. Isn't that our goal? Isn't that our objective? Is to see people saved? To see people come to Christ. I love Paul, he says, so that I might just save a few. This is the heart of really, I suppose, my whole message. That we would that we would grasp this love and that we would help save a few. Eternity. Eternity. It's good to just pause on that sometimes. My friends, there is a heaven and there is a hell to come. There is a second death. We're living in a world, and unfortunately, in many churches that are getting away from that fact. It's true. And it's not my words. It's Jesus himself says that. Warns us. Don't make the mistake of thinking that we're all just going to sing kumbaya together and the whole world's going to make it. We're on a mission. We're on a mission. And the cost and the casualties are so incredibly high. They are eternal. Eternal. Did you know that uh, on average 150,000 people die every day in this world? 150,000 people enter eternity every day in this world. I did a funeral today. Two people I went to high school with died this week. Life happens. Life happens. And when you get the attitude of Christ, when you start loving people, when you start wanting to invest in people, pray for people, see people come to Christ, 
All of a sudden, life turns into a battlefield. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's so hard to say what really matters to people. It's so hard. Even up until the last point of their life, I've seen it on more than one occasion. Those words that we have, those questions, those hard things we have to talk about become the hardest things in the world to do. It's a battlefield. But a big part of this love is loving the truth and telling the truth. That's what Jesus did. That's why he came. Talk about a reformation. He went around telling people the truth about life and death and eternity. And he loved each one he could along the way. We're to have the attitude of Christ. We are called to action. We're called to love. You know, it's funny, kumbaya. It means arise and come, Lord. And that's another thing, isn't it? Because he is coming. He is coming. And I love in verse 18, it says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. I love this um, quote from Spurgeon. Spurgeon, the great theologian, says that all persons have need to dread the future except the Christian. Except the Christian. We fear not what's coming ahead. We fear not death. There's, a, there's a, another old um, preacher. He said that there's three kinds of people in the world. Um, those who um, are afraid those who don't know enough to be afraid, and those who know their Bible. We want to be a people who know our Bible, and we want to be a people to point to the truth, to point to hope, to point to the life, to point to the love of God. As we finish, um, I just had a couple thoughts about love being the greatest. Love is the greatest. The love of God is the most powerful weapon on earth. It can break down the walls of hard hearts. It can break down the walls of separation from people, even loved ones. It's not a compromising love. It's not a cold love either. It's a pursuing, humble, genuine, hoping for the best love. And I just had to uh, read us through 1 Corinthians 13 tonight. Um, so wonderful. You can turn there. You can follow on the screen. I'm just going to read through it. It says, um, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And, and this is what we get at a wedding usually and, um, and all that. But this is not a marital uh, context here. Although it can be applied to a marriage, this is talking about the love of a Christian, the love of a Christ follower, the, the love of God. In verse 4, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous 
or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. <laughs> Sorry, I got three kids. I was just thinking about that. So true. Thank you, Lord. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages or tongues and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Amen. Now our knowledge, right now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. And to wrap it up here is so beautiful. It says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then on that day, we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. Talking about our future, talking about the whole big picture here. It's, we see it partially and incomplete. But it says, then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. And it says three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. You know, as Christians, we are to be known by our love. We are to be known by it. And as we love each other, not only unbelievers, but each other as Christians, we're called to restore each other, to keep each other on the path, to spur each other on, to encourage each other, as iron sharpens iron. Sometimes when I meet with folks, I say, let's get together and sharpen our swords. Let's do this. Let's stay in the fight. Let's stay in the battle. In closing, I just have one last thought for us. I really believe if we don't come to an understanding on how to live loving God and loving people, I believe we'll miss out on our true purpose in this life. We'll miss it. And like Jackie said, we don't want to enter eternity and find out how foolish we've been. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we owe everything to you. We really do. You saved us, Lord. You thought of us. You made a way for us, God. You showed us love. You brought light into our darkest place, God. You redeemed us. You called us. You took my feet out of the miry clay and set it on a rock, Lord. God, you are deserving of all worship and all devotion, Father. God, I pray that in these days, these potentially chaotic and uncertain times that we live in, God, that we would even more abound in your love, Father. 
that we would stop to think even more so, God, of the people around us, the, the place that you have put us, God, in our workplaces, in our homes, Lord, that you would give us your eyes and your heart to see those around us the way that you do, God. God, help us to reach out to people more than ever, Father. Help us to really cultivate this deep love and compassion for the lost as you have, Father. God, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that it enriches our lives. And God, we just, um, again, just renew our, our dedication and devotion to you in these days, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. What a pleasure, as always, uh, to be with you all tonight. I have some uh, thoughts and um, questions up on the screen and some further reading. If you'd like to, to take that home and chew on it for a while, you're more than welcome to do that. Aside from that, um, feel free to stay around and enjoy a cafe. If you'd like prayer or uh, would like to chat, gosh, we would love to do that with you. Other than that, you are dismissed, and you're welcome to grab your kids. God bless you all. Good night.